0: A recent study shows that our new AI overlords may be more trustworthy than our flesh and blood brothers and sisters. And then we travel to Baltimore, Maryland, to take a look at the story known as The Boys in the Barbed Wire Cage. When two neighborhood youths go ghost hunting, they have no idea they're about to step foot into a house full of madness, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day, I hope you guys are having a great day too, I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing what you're doing, I hope you guys got some good plans for the weekend coming up. It's gonna be sunny, if, if you live where I live, I can't guarantee the weather where you're at, but... Rainer Shine, someone who's always been a longtime supporter of the show, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now, is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone give it up for Visal Horn. Woo! Everyone give a big round of applause. Visal Horn comes walking in. Yeah, dude. I don't know why that, I don't, that sounded weird. That sounded a little a little pervy. Uh Viesel Horn, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Weaselhorn, let's go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. We're going to jump off the tallest point of Dead Rabbit Radio. We're going to glide right into the metaverse. So the metaverse is this supposed new, beautiful computer playground we're going to be in. I almost feel like they're forcing it a bit. I don't think people really want to check their email. Like by putting on VR headsets and stuff like that, and they have to digitally walk to the post office, little avatars waving at you. I just want to click a button and check the email. I know Facebook or Meta is what they go by now, but they've been making this big push for the Metaverse, but the beauty of social networks is I pull my phone out, I go to my TikTok, at Dead Rabbit Radio, and I look at stuff, right? And then I'm done. If I had to put on goggles and gloves to go to TikTok... I'm not going to go to TikTok. If I have to do anything other than pick my phone up and press a button, imagine doing Farmville, but you actually have to walk across the farm. You're on old school Facebook and you're like actually having to virtually pick up turnips. It's just not going to work. I really think it's a fool's errand. But the metaverse is coming whether we like it or not. I mean, we don't have to use it and it could collapse. It could be a huge, could be a huge flop. But coming out of the metaverse, we're having all of these thought pieces. And I read this really interesting one. This actually, metaverse or not, this article has really, really profound implications for the world going forward. We're in the metaverse. we got our digital avatars. But even if we're not in the metaverse, this is some crazy stuff. There's a website called VentureBeat. And there's an article written by Lewis Rosenberg. He wrote an article called, Get Ready for Your Evil Twin. Really, really interesting piece. Thank you, Lewis, for writing this. What he points out is that earlier this year, there was a study done that showed that AI technology has become so advanced that they did a study where they were showing people photos of real people and then photos of AI-generated people. And showing enough of these photos, they dis- they discovered a couple things. The study discovered a couple things. One, people can't tell the difference anymore between a very, very well-refined AI-generated this-person-does-not-exist type of photo, which we've talked about that website before. And when you're looking at this photo, this person never existed. Now, every so often there's a glitch, there's a hideous glitch sometimes in this thing But for the most part, I could use these photos as avatars for social networks and you would never know that this person did not exist. It's just a face. And this kind of skips over the whole uncanny valley effect because with the uncanny valley effect, that usually works with things that are in motion. You notice something's wrong with the way the lips move. You notice something is wrong with the way the eyes work and it makes you go, oh, that's so realistic, but it's too realistic. It's making me sick to my stomach. That's the uncanny valley effect but as far as a still photograph they did this big study and people cannot tell the difference between the photograph of a real person and the photograph of an ai person and that's not a huge problem right we have had issues of people having social accounts like social network accounts using fake photos and people thinking that they're real but you know that's like identity theft type stuff it's harmful But it's not game-changing. However, this study also showed that... This is weird. No one expected this. The participants in the study were asked to rate the trustworthiness of the people in the photos. And by a significant margin, the AI-generated photos were rated as more trustworthy than the photos of real people. Now, that's dangerous. That's dangerous if they couldn't tell the difference, but something in someone's mind goes, ah, but I don't trust that. I don't know why I don't trust that picture, but I don't. And that turned out to be the AI picture. That would mean there was something in our monkey brain that was still detecting something's wrong, but it's the opposite. People are viewing the AI photos as more trustworthy. And what Lewis Rosenberg is saying is that, he he said this in a previous article. He goes, you are going to see, as we now have this still photographs, that look just like real people, and you can't tell the difference. He goes, you'll eventually start to be able to manipulate those in a way that skips over the uncanny valley effect so you can have the movement and people won't be able to tell that's a digital person. He goes, that's coming. And he goes, this is what ad agencies are going to do. Even before this study came out, he predicted that ad companies are going to start doing commercials with digital people because you won't be able to tell the difference and they're super cheap. Right, you don't actually have to pay an actor. You'd have to get a voice actor. You're gonna have like some Rosie the Robot voice come and buy more detergent. You'd have to have a voice actor, but it's cheaper, it's faster, and now with this study, these ads would be more trustworthy. Now, why they're finding the AI people more trustworthy, they weren't able to really come to a determination on that. Why they do. But I think if you... I actually couldn't... I've been thinking about that, too, for the past couple days. Like, is it because when you're creating an AI picture, you're creating a perfect person? But these people don't look like angels, right? They don't look like these divine beings, they just look like normal people. But for whatever reason, we see, maybe, actually, here's a theory, throw on our conspiracy caps, maybe because when we look at other humans, we know humans are prone to sinning or doing things wrong or having malicious intent. But when you see an AI who was just breathed into life digitally, they never existed before the moment that photo was printed, maybe something in our brain goes, that person's never sinned. Because they, they didn't. like We don't realize that's not a real person, but we know something about them is Buddha-like. They've never sinned. They've never wanted. They've never lusted. They've never done any of these things. so That's my own theory that I just came up with about a minute or two ago, but I haven't been thinking about a while why that would be. But anyways, he goes, you're going to see advertising with digital actors. Because why not? It's gonna be super cheap and you can make the actor look you can make the actor look exactly like the audience you're going for, instead of having to cast people and you go, Well, he's not really the right fit, but he's cheap. <laughs> Just hiring these bums off the street to sell Cheetos. So he predicted that was coming down the pipe, but he goes, now that you have this steady show and they're more trustworthy, and it's just going to accelerate that, ad campaigns are going to want to go over this. But he's talking specifically about get ready to meet your evil twin. He said, as we move, this is fascinating, he goes, as we move into the metaverse, everyone's going to have an avatar. And what happens is you're going to be used to having a certain digital meeting space for your company's meetings. So you walk in, And you're sick. I mean, again, it just sounds so, such a nightmarish world. I'm going to put on headsets and gloves and walk into a room and then just sit down and drink digital coffee and listen to my boss drone on and on about sales reports and stuff like that. Or, I mean, I could just imagine we're all sitting around the table drinking real coffee, but we have on headsets and gloves and the boss is actually saying that. But in the digital world, he's a zebra or something like that. He goes, What's going to happen is you're going to have AI imitate people you know. He goes, as the A.I. has become more complex, you're basically going to have bad actors disguising themselves as avatars that you know of. He says the reason why it's going to be worse online is for a couple different reasons. He goes, one, what's going to happen online? The people who market to you online already know everything about you. They know all of your wants and desires. They know your Google search history. They know your phone's constantly picking up conversations and creating buzzwords and everything like that. And we give them permission to do this because we want access to their free services. They're constantly spying on us and they use that information to market to us. Now, imagine you have that coupled with a digital salesperson appear online. Let's even keep it without like the identity theft. We'll get to that in a second. But let's say you're gonna go buy a car. You won't be talking to just a blank screen. You'll be talking to a digital representation of a salesperson. And because he's an AI the AI will simply look like a more trusting person. The image of that avatar will be designed to be someone that we would trust because it would be able to scan all the information about you and develop an avatar that looks like someone you would trust. And they said, we'll get to the point where your webcam will probably have to be on for some of these services. Some of the mo- most of them, I assume, they'll just start putting in the thing. You got to use your webcam as you're sitting there, as a salesperson's talking to you, and you're like, hmm, and you're kind of changing your expression when they say a certain phrase, your eyes kind of go to the side, and you're thinking, Oh, that doesn't sound too good. The AI would say, Adjust the conversation. Like it is on the fly human manipulation, and using the webcam will be able to tell how how successful the sale is going so far. And once you start to lose interest or once you start to look away, the salesman will change tactics. That is insane. It will be able to present itself as the perfect person you trust, and it will be able to use the arguments you need to hear to buy the product. And Lewis goes, that's coming down the pipe. And he goes, we haven't even gotten to the identity theft thing. He goes, you're going to see bad actors, going back to the boardroom example, he goes, you're going to see bad actors impersonating other people's avatars that they know you interact with because they have access to all the same information the marketing teams do. They're going to know that your boss is a zebra. They're going to know, not literally, not literally, but they're going to know that your boss is an avatar of a zebra. They're going to know what your boardroom looks like, and they're going to imitate a digital representation of your boardroom. They're going to imitate a digital representation of your boss. And they can say, hey, tell us how the quarterly reports are. And you start talking about all this information. It's corporate espionage. You would never be able to tell the difference. That's something you couldn't do in real life. You wouldn't be like, well, I normally, I normally take a left on 82nd Street to get to work. But this guy is telling me to go right. And this building is like a ramshackle house. But when I walk in, the office room looks exactly the same. And then my boss is wearing a zebra outfit. So those two things click. Like, you would know that. He goes, you'll see people doing digital representations of banks. You go to the bank... In the metaverse, you end up going to the wrong bank. It, this is so weird and it's almost kind of you you think about it and you're like, dude, this is lawnmower man, Johnny mnemonic, high you know like high sci-fi weirdness, right? This isn't going to happen, but it will it will. Whether or not we engage with it quickly or slowly, this is where it's going. I'm anti-wearing the goggles and the gloves just to check my email, but what'll happen is they'll make you. Right. If you want to check your email through a given service, you'll have to be part of this metaverse nonsense and everything like that. And the more you go into it, the more that you'll have the legit elements, like the marketing groups, accessing all this information and becoming perfect salespeople to you. And then you'll also have bad actors. And he says this is something you need to clamp down on right away. He goes, as the metaverse is rolling out, you are going to see identity theft and criminals flood into it to take advantage of it. And he goes, if they do not clamp it down right away, people will just have the reputation, oh yeah, metaverse is where a bunch of scams are. It's, there's still a lot of people who do not like spending money online. Because they remember in the early days, you'd always hear about people's credit cards getting stolen or people purchasing stuff and not getting it. And you had eBay come out and you had PayPal come out and you had all of this stuff and then you had these banking protections. And even now, 40 years after the the internet became mainstream, there's still a lot of people, a lot of older people saying, "Ah, I don't buy stuff online, it's too risky. I I whip my card out all the time. I'm constantly buying stuff online because I trust the mechanisms that there are. But... I understand why people don't. So will the metaverse become a place, a den of scum and villainy? Will it just become a place of a different kind of scum? The marketing executives who can perfectly match the voice and the image and the argument they need to get you to buy something, even if it's something you don't want. Because instead of showing a commercial that appeals to everyone, it's supposed to appeal to everyone, but only maybe 10% listen to that commercial. If I am flipping through my phone and there's an attractive girl show up in a tennis outfit, if I'm flipping through a TikTok and that image appears, I stop and I watch that video. And if she turns to me and goes, Have you thought about refinancing your mortgage? Well, see, that's the thing. You wouldn't ask, that would be a waste of time because I don't have a mortgage. But she could go, Jason, have you ever thought about buying new shoes? Of course, I have. Of course, I have magical tennis woman. They would know, and then they would tell me where to get the shoes. And I'd be like, I don't know, those shoes are kind of expensive. But Jason, she's all doing this sexy dance. You know that I love those shoes. Oh, fine. I'll buy the shoes. That's the future. Like, you're almost, we always worried about the AI declaring war on humanity, but it might just be a monetary war. It might just be AI getting us to buy stuff not this huge Terminator 2 future, but this kind of mundane world where whenever these perfect marketing bots show up, crazy world. And again, I never even thought about any of this stuff. So thank you, Lewis. That was a great article. Really, really enjoyed it. And I wanted to segue into this really, really quickly. It's a fascinating story. I've been following it for about two years now, and I'm going to try to cram it into just a few minutes. Uh, The Hollywood Reporter's done a really good... That's a website, a magazine. They've done a really good job on reporting this, and I'm going to try to um, sum it up a bit. And it's a great segue for where we're going. Wiesel Horn, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalapi. We're leaving behind the metaverse. We're leaving this digital realm. We're headed all the way out to Indonesia. This the The article I really recommend reading the article. They're going to go in a lot of detail, but it can be summed up pretty quickly. For about five years, there was this super interesting scam that targeted people in the movie industry, and this is so. This shows how the technology, as of now, really this started back in 2015. Just using the technology of scrolling through social networks can change people's lives what would happen was you would have stuntmen you would have makeup artists this happened this affected writers and actors and photographers and all these different trades within the hollywood machine and it was usually people who weren't just starting out their career they were kind of about like in the the medium realm these weren't like people who are trying to break into hollywood these are people who already had some access in the industry but they weren't top tier talent either what happened was you would have someone, you would have, take, for example, a stunt man, a stunt worker, stunt coordinator would be the term. They would get an email from Amy Pascal. She was the um, head of Sony, Sony Films for a while. She was the one who was greenlighting all the Spider-Man stuff and Men in Black and the Ghostbusters reboot and all that stuff. You get an email from Amy Pascal, very, very powerful person in Hollywood. And they would say, hey, I really like your work. I've seen some of your stuff. I would like you to work as a stunt coordinator on a Marvel movie we're going to be shooting in Indonesia. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah, sure. But you think that, although this is Amy Pascal's name and, and you wouldn't know who this was, you're, you you think it might be a scam, right? But these emails have a phone number listed on them. And you call the phone number and Amy picks up. You talk to her and she's like, yeah, I want you to be a stunt coordinator for this movie we're shooting. da 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 And you would fly out to Indonesia and you would start doing the work there. You would start, the stunt coordinator was told to travel around these parts of Indonesia, look at the locations, see, you know, what they could do there. And they were told to use specific services like, oh yeah, you know, when you get there, use this taxi cab service and then you can use, you might need a charter, a private helicopter to get there, use this place and use this place and use this place. And the way it works is that you pay for everything up front, but you'll be reimbursed for this. Now, you're talking on the phone to Amy Pascal, and her email looks legit. Her website looks legit. Everything seems normal. So, you fly out there and you're spending money up to this one guy got taken for like $70,000. Spoiler alert, it wasn't Amy Pascal. And this person also imitated Kathleen Kennedy and the boss of Paramount at the time, Paramount, Sherry Lansing. And this person would imitate very powerful women and known women in the movie industry and reach these medium-level artists and have them fly out there, spend tens of thousands of dollars, they're going to get reimbursed, and then all contact ceases. And the feds had been working on this case for years. Because obviously they'd go and they'd talk to Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not sending people out to Indonesia to do this stuff. This goes on and on and on. Until finally, in 2020, the police arrest Har Gobind Talaramanani, a 41-year-old Indonesian man. Imitate these women's voices. People actually thought they were talking to these powerful women in Hollywood. And when you get ripped off like that, a lot of people are super embarrassed. They don't really disclose it right away, but enough of them are going to the police. The police opened this investigation. And the reason why he knew to target these people was because he just followed them on Instagram. He would look for stunt coordinators. He would go on Facebook and look for people who are Hollywood makeup artists. He'd go to IMDb pages and find these people and find the perfect targets and then shoot them an email. And this guy made hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this. The people on the ground, the people running the taxi companies and the private companies, they weren't part of it. He was running all of these scams. And it was this dude, he's 41 years old. He had a history of writing like bad checks. He did some prison time for embezzlement. But then he came up with this huge identity theft scam. And he did that with email and phone and him trudging through IMDb pages. One dude for about five years ran this scam that had Hollywood honestly a little on edge because you don't really know who you're talking to. You'd want to make, you <laughs> like, let's put on our VR headsets. I need to see you in that zebra suit, Kathleen, to know it's you. Um, if one dude can do that for five years and get away with it, it was weird. At some point, he was having phone sex at one point. Some of the people were like, yeah, it was really weird. Kathleen Kennedy started talking real sexy to me late at night, and I was like, uh, this is a little odd. But if one guy can do that, can trick all of these people... Just with that basic amount of information, imagine what an AI could do who knew everything about you and would know when you were about, like you start Googling identity theft. You start Googling stuff like, can I get my money back from a fraud? And then that's when the bot could show back up and be like, hey, I know that, you know, I haven't talked to you in a while, but we got a brand new thing. Here's a couple thousand dollars. Sorry, I haven't, and you could keep the scam going because it has access to when you're Googling. Imagine as you're Googling, Contact number for FBI fraud unit. Your phone rings. And you look over, and the caller ID is Kathleen Kennedy, and you pick it up. Because the AI, if an AI was running this scam, it would know what you were searching for. You, it owes you $10,000. It gives you $2,000. as, a, Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, but here, I'll just send $2,000 right now, because it's all stolen money anyways. The AI version of this scam would be Unstoppable terrifying world terrifying world and i've talked about this on early episodes i really do like how i'm really fascinated by technology and true crime and how the police use technology and how the criminals have to keep upping the game technologically wise that's not a word but it is now because i said it and just that advancement will the police start using ai of their own to troll the internet looking for crimes before they happen Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Zebra avatars all around. Don't trust them. Never trust them. Zebras. visal horn. Let's go ahead and fire up the carboner copter. We're leaving behind Indonesia. They actually arrested that dude in Britain, but he was he was traveling all over. He ended up having his own like Instagram foodie channel where he's like, look at all this delicious, food. <laughs> look at all this delicious food I can afford. And he was using stolen money to buy it. We're leaving behind Indonesia. We're headed all the way out to Baltimore, Maryland. (laughs) I want to give a shout-out to... There's a subreddit called The Church of Charles Fort. They post a lot of really weird, obscure stuff. And that's where I... I've never heard of the story before. I heard about it on The Church of Charles Fort, so I want to give a shout-out to them if you're into obscure stuff, obscure paranormal stuff. I'm sure you'd be a fan of that. I'm a mod over there, but... Don't tell anyone I don't I don't do anything. I don't do anything. They're getting ready to kick me off as a mod, probably. Because I don't mod anything. I just I signed up for it and then I don't even post. I don't even post stuff on there. But I do read it. If they remove me as a mod, that's fine. But yeah, go ahead and check it out. It's a really cool subreddit. And so this is interesting. So I've never heard of this story before. And one of the first things I do when I find a story this sensational is I try to find other sources of it. Because the subreddit, the Church of Charles Fort, linked to a website called Journal of the Bazaar, which is a great website. We've covered them before. It's a really, really cool website. But as I'm reading this story, I kept looking for any other mention of this story outside of the Journal of the Bazaar. And there's only one. And it's the source that Journal of the Bazaar quotes for this. There is an issue of the San Francisco Examiner newspaper from November 4th, 1906. That is the only source for this story. Every other word, keyword I've tried putting in, no one else is reporting this. And I don't know why. It makes me really suspicious that it's a story, like a fictional story, because we've seen those before as well. But uh, it's in the newspaper. It, it was in the newspaper. And there's a photograph attached to it, but you can't reverse image search. I mean, nothing comes up. It's weird. I don't know why this story is not more popular, because it is crazy. It's 1906. We're in Baltimore, Maryland, and there's two young boys in town. Hey, look at me, everybody. I'm Clarence Lagar. And then he gets nudged out of the way. Well, I'm Charles Lagar. And they're doing a little pose. They do a little back-to-back pose. They're standing together. These kids are well-known in the neighborhood. Clarence is not... I don't know if they introduce themselves like that all the time. I don't know if their life is a little rascal show, but... Clarence is nine, and Charles is seven, and they have two other siblings, but you know they're lame. Clarence and Charles are who we are going to be following in this story, and they're brothers who love exploring dark and spooky places, like who doesn't right like part of the fear is fun, part of the creepiness is fun, and then everyone knows how brave you are yo it's c and c. The Ligari Brothers, I don't don't know why I've given them all of these monikers. It's just two boys in the neighborhood. But apparently they did run with a crew of other neighborhood kids. And like all good neighborhoods, you have a lot of kids hanging out, doing kid stuff, having fun, learning about life. And then you have a dilapidated spooky mansion in the neighborhood. And in this place, it was called the Baldwin House. It had been abandoned for God knows how long. It was on 28th Street in Baltimore, Maryland. I don't think it's there anymore. <laughs> I'm pretty sure after the story, it was destroyed. But even among the adults in town, it had a reputation of being haunted. People claimed, even though the house was empty, you could hear noises emanate from the house. Squeak, squeak. squink, squeak, squeak, the floorboard said. Uh ugh." Was the sound of a door being opened by no one. And then what's another sound a house can make? (laughs) That's the sound of a haunted house when it sets down a heavy load. So people heard noise. (laughs) I don't know if they specifically heard those noises. The point is people heard noises from the house. It's probably rats scurrying around, right? But then you also see lights move around in the house so often, someone would look out and see a light moving around the house. Well, maybe that's an intrepid ghost hunter with a flashlight. It's 1906. Maybe that's an intrepid ghost hunter holding a candle. Going, oh, <laughs> I just carried this big thing upstairs. Uh. But then, occasionally, like those two things could be explained, right? Weird lights in the house, someone's walking around with a candle. Weird noises in the house, someone's walking around with a candle. Burning themselves. But... Occasionally, so this is so here, I'll be honest with you guys. I wasn't able to read the actual article from the San Francisco Examiner. It would have cost me like 20 bucks. And I don't have 20 bucks to pay to read an old timey newspaper article. So I'm really, I, <laughs> here's the thing, which I think is so funny. I was only able to find the two sources for this story. One of them I couldn't read. One of them I saw like a picture of and it was like, if you want to read this whole thing, it's like 20 bucks a month. And then I'm reading the Journal of the Bazaar. So I'm sure that the elements in the story are true. I don't know if the San Francisco Examiner said this part. Because this is a totally different story at this point. House making spooky noises, fine. Lights being seen in the house, that's standard Ghost 101. And according to Journal of the Bazaar, occasionally when people looked into this house, they saw this deformed freak sitting inside, just staring outside of a window. If I saw mysterious lights in a house, I could probably rationalize that. If I saw a... If I, I, as an adult man, saw a monster looking at me through a window, a deformed freak, not just a deformed man, or not just a freak, but a deformed freak, the worst kind of freaks, you would go in. You would go in, you'd call the police, uh, you'd go in with a bunch of cops, you'd find the freak, right? So I don't know if the San Francisco... I don't know if San Francisco Examiner, this newspaper, is like, and then on lonely nights, sometimes you peered up and saw a freak. I don't know if they had that detail, which I find interesting. But maybe they did. (laughs) Maybe if you have $20, you can let me know. But deformed freak, lights in the house, sounds. Neighborhood legends, most likely, right? But to the Ligari boys, and really to all the kids in the neighborhood, this was the ultimate test of how brave you were so one day the ligari boys with a bunch of other neighborhood kids meet up outside the house clarence and charles goes ah you guys are suckers but me and my brother here the cc's we're (laughs) like that makes you sound like a bunch of sissies it's like okay forget that nickname me and my brother here i'm charles in charge and this guy is this this little dude is his name, Clarence. What's his name? He turns to his brother, he's like, what's your name? He's like, oh, you're my big brother. You don't remember my name? We're the brave ones. We're going to go in this house and we're going to show all you we're the bee's knees. So they walk into the house. So here's an actual quote. From the San Francisco Examiner. Maybe <laughs> they actually did talk about a monster. If this is the kind of quote they're having, here's a quote from the San Francisco Examiner. Quote: A few moments later, when the children rushed out of the house with a wild, terrified look, they were dumb. So far as appreciating what was said to them. Never mind. This <laughs> this quote's more trouble than it's worth. This is what happened. I'll put this in normal human words. The two Ligari boys walked into the house, and they were in there for a couple moments, and then they ran out, making guttural zombie noises. And the kids freak out. These two boys, who up until just a couple moments ago were totally fine, walk out, their eyes are rolling around, they're making these horrible sounds. They're idiots. They've become mouth-breathing idiots over the course of just a few minutes. And they said they looked crazed, like there was no other way. They looked like they had become animalistic. When you looked into their eyes, they looked like they weren't human anymore. The neighborhood kids ran away. So now there are these two little boys, one's nine and one's seven. Oh! They're walking down the street just moaning and lost in their own minds. Something's definitely gone wrong with these kids. Nobody nobody knows these kids. People are sitting there hanging up the laundry. They're like, there go them Ligari boys. They look a little more, <laughs> look a little more idiotic than normal, but I'm sure they'll find their way home. They get home and they walk into the kitchen. And the mom looks at them and hears them, and she faints. It's like the most terrifying thing. Oh, wait, never mind. Let me check my notes here. The mom turned and looked at them, and she almost fainted. (laughs) That's different than faints. She almost fainted. She looks, oh, my stars and garters. I think if I was standing there and my two kids came home and they were dumb idiots, I would faint. Right, I wouldn't be like, oh, good thing I didn't faint. (laughs) Good thing I didn't faint all the way. That wasn't completely shocking to me. The children come home. There's obviously something physiologically wrong with them and mentally wrong with them. It's not like they're just pretending. She almost faints. And what happens at this point is they end up calling the doctor. Hey, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. They're just wandering around. (laughs) They're just wandering around the house. They can't, they, they can't understand anything we're saying. We can't understand anything they're saying. There's something wrong with them. Like you look in their eyes and there's actually something not right with them. So over the next couple of weeks, these kids, Clarence and Charles, just continue to kind of like walk around the house and they're incredibly violent. They're like smashing stuff. They're like, Clarence, Clarence, don't no, put that down. And they're like grabbing vases. He's like, oh no, I probably shouldn't have borrowed my boss's Ming vase collection this week. They're constantly destroying stuff in the house. These kids are just tearing up the house. And they're visited by a bunch of doctors. And the doctors are all like, we have no idea what's causing this. We don't know why your kids are acting crazy. But at this point, everyone in this area of town has heard of that they had gone into the Baldwin house. Because there was a bunch of other kids being like, I swear on me life, governor. They were totally normal until they walked into the Baldwin house. And the doctors are like, okay, thank you, street urchin. They figure out the doctor's diagnose this is this is awesome. I wish doctors were like this today. The doctor multiple doctors diagnosed them with they must have went into that house and seen something so scary they went crazy. Like Cthulhu level cosmic horror. These kids must have seen something so disturbing they've gone mad. Now, that, does, <laughs> that is cool, right? But you would definitely want a second opinion, right? You want, you're like, okay, thank you. But multiple doctors, like, I guess they saw something so spooky. And the kids, so now it's been a couple of weeks, and the kids are just destroying the house, and they keep trying to run away. So a very, remember, they have siblings, they have a mom and a dad. They're constantly having to go and grab Clarence or grab Charles and drag them back home. But then you catch them from running away and then they're just destroying the house. You're like, oh. And so eventually, like this was an ongoing issue. Eventually the police get involved and they're like, listen, these kids are super dangerous to you guys and to themselves, but they're too young to go to jail. And they go, can we put them in like some sort of mental hospital or something like that? And that's when the Baltimore Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children got involved. And they said no. They were hiding behind the bush the whole time. They waited until someone said that. They pop out. They go, no. They're too young to go to a mental asylum. You have to keep them here. And the family's looking around at their busted house. They're like, ah, we keep trying to play dominoes and they've eaten all the dominoes. They come up with this plan so they can't have them in the house anymore. They're trashing this house. So they put them in the backyard and they wrap barbed wire around the yard. They actually wrap barbed wire, they say all around the entire house. But I don't know if that's true. I don't know if the dad's like, I'm off to work, honey. And he's like walking over... He's walking over barbed wire as he's driving to work. He's like, Oh, his crotch is all bloody. He's like, sorry, I was late for work, boss. I got an infection again. The boss is like, oh man, clean that up. Every day you come to work with more barbed wire cuts on your balls. I don't think they, I'm sure they had easy passage for the rest of the family. The kids are like, I can't go to school today. There's barbed wire in the way. And the mom's like throwing them over the barbed wire. You go to school, young man. You're not crazy. But Charles and Clarence were crazy and they're in the backyard and they kept climbing the barbed wire. So they're all bloody. (laughs) This isn't like a neighborhood. This isn't in the boonies out on the edge of town. This isn't a neighborhood. So like you, (laughs) your property values plummeting, right? You're the neighbor to these freaks. And you're like, ah, nice time off work. I'm going to drink my sarsaparilla and then you look out the window. There's like a bloody, (laughs) there's a bloody kid climbing up the barbed wire. You're like, oh man, totally ruined my day. So they keep climbing up the barbed wire and they keep throwing. Like, it's so funny. I hope this story's true, right? Because I would love, I don't want to say I want to see kids go insane, just so we're clear. I don't want to see bloody kids climbing over barbed wire. But what happens is, according to this article, as people were walking by, the kids were throwing rocks at them from the backyard. And people are getting pelted by rocks, so the cops keep coming out there. And the cops are like, you need to do something about this. Because your kids are bloody, and they're climbing the barbed wire, and they're throwing rocks at people. And the article also says they were throwing bottles at people? I I read that and go, where are they getting the bottles? I mean, maybe they might have had one or two, but I don't think like their dad's like, oh, kids, you know what? It sure is hard being insane in the backyard. Here's some lemonade for you. Here's some bottles of lemonade. And then he just leaves them as they're drinking and they're throwing the bottles. Apparently, there was an endless supply of rocks and bottles in this backyard and they were climbing the barbed wire. So the police go, this just isn't going to work. We can't take them to jail, though. So you have to shackle the kids down. We have these giant balls because (laughs) life's a Looney Tune. We have these giant metal balls with chains on them, and we chain them around the kids' ankles. And so they can't climb up the barbed wire anymore. They can't get a good throw. They're they're kids, right? They don't have a really good arm. But if you're above someone off barbed wire, you just chuck rocks all day long, hit them in the head. So these kids, there's a photo of these two idiotic kids sitting in a backyard... (laughs) It'd <laughs> be funny if there's like a bottle flying at the camera. It's like the cameraman died shortly after taking this photo. There's a photo of these two kids all uh, in the backyard, and apparently these kids were locked up for about a year, and the parents eventually got a divorce. Right? <laughs> I could imagine having two insane rock wielding, bloodied children it would put some pressure on your marriage. The article said that the wife left the husband. The mother left the father because he was being abusive towards the kids. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm not part of their private life, but I would say she's like, why do my kids have all these mysterious scratches on their body? And he's like, "Uh, duh, the barbed wire? (laughs) I had nothing to do with that. The cops told us to put the barbed wire up. But anyways, she left him. That's crazy enough, right? But again, that could put stress on your marriage. But then she remarried. And I'm thinking, I don't know what this woman looked like, but she was the hottest woman in Baltimore because I'm telling you, most men will not marry a woman who has four kids and two of them are insane. Like Two of them are certifiably insane. He's like, oh, our first date. He's like getting pelted with rocks. He's like, ah, ah she better be the hottest woman ever. Apparently she would have had to be, right? To have two insane barbed wire engaged children and be like, I can make this work. I can make this work. So apparently she got remarried and they moved away. All four of them. Well, all six of them. You had the mom and the new boyfriend, the new husband. And then you had the four kids, including Clarence and Charles. They moved away to Towson, Maryland. And we don't know what happened after that. Like, we, don't, we have no idea. <laughs> it's like, here's your new home, kids. It's like this beautiful glen that's covered in thorny bushes. We don't know. That's kind of the end of that story. What's interesting is the Journal of the Bazaar tries to put this rational spin on it, and they said people since then have kind of thought that what caused this was that Dad was a painter, and back then paint had arsenic and lead in it, and their symptoms are actually in line with people who get poisoned from arsenic or lead. And that's a fine theory, but... There's a lot of problems wrong with it. First off, no one else in the family was insane. Just those two kids, right? And it could be that those two kids just really loved eating paint, but it would be weird... If they really loved eating paint and then they walk into a haunted house and they're like, now it's time to indulge in our favorite treat. This is the real reason why we wanted to come to this house. They're eating the paint in the house because remember, that's what triggered this. If other people in the house were going insane and they hadn't gone into the haunted house, then you could say, yeah, it's probably access to all of the chemicals. And you can very quickly get the brain damage from this arsenic and lead in this paint, but why would the haunted house have triggered it? Why would no one else had this? But sure, skeptical answer, I totally understand. What's really creepy about this story, and we'll finish it off like this, is I left a detail out for suspense. I said that the kids were constantly running away, which was true. But every time they ran away and they were dragged back home... They were always headed in the same direction. These kids who were maniacs, these rock-wielding maniacs, were always running away back to the Baldwin house. Did they see something in that house that day that changed them? That warped them? And then after that moment, even though their brains had become numbed, They lost their voice. They lost their wits. They became idiots that needed to be encaged just to contain. Is it possible that even after all that happened to them, the house called to them every single night? They may have been deaf to the crying sobs of their mother, or the shrieks of pain as passerbyers dodged rocks. They may have been deaf to the well-wishes of their friends and family, or to the prayers of the community that they would be healed. But every night they still heard the voice that cried out from the Baldwin house. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come home. Come back home. Dead Rabbit Radio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash Dead Radio. TikTok is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listen to it today. Every day.